Grab your Bibles, if you will, and open them to John 6. And we'll continue uh, our look at um, the star of the show. Follow as I read. I'm going to read the first 15 verses of John chapter 6. Hope you'll be with us tonight. There's a real treat for you. And this was some of it. John chapter 6 at verse 1. You follow in your copies as I read. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God, that endures forever. 2,100 years it's been since Jesus roamed the streets of Palestine. Created quite a furor with his teaching, um, which is what we looked at last week. Jesus is teaching. Interestingly, uh, over the passage of time, some of that teaching has, um, I mean, it seems that the world has warmed to it somewhat and uh, almost adopted it as their own. Things like um, the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Loved, widely loved. Uh, in every corner of the world. Um, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Oh my. It's, um, it's a treasured uh, story. Perhaps the most widely known story in all of the Bible. Um, he's teaching about forgiveness. Boy, has that been uh, relevant across the centuries when you have things like Rwanda and, and the Holocaust. And then, um, oh, this turn the other cheek business. That's, that's somewhat applauded. You know, certainly not the, the whole corpus of what Jesus taught, but portions of it, certain portions of it, 
uh, the world loves, adopted it as their own. Um, whether they be believer or unbeliever, there, there are certain portions of what Jesus taught that people just really like. But the same thing cannot be said about his miracles. Um, there's no question as to how the world <laughs> views his miracles. Uh, 21st century man, backed by what he thinks is scientific research, is embarrassed and and uh, and a bit amused by some of the the miraculous claims that are made about Jesus Christ in the New Testament. I mean, <laughs> really, virgin birth. I mean, we know how babies are made. Oh, that walking on the water stuff. Oh, I mean, you you've got to be a simpleton. To, I mean, there were rocks underneath him that he just you couldn't see with the camera. You know, he just walked. He glided over rocks. My my my. And apart from from any scientific research, there have been numerous attempts, guys, and, and maybe you're not aware of them, but numerous attempts to try and and rid the Bible of any of that miraculous stuff. For instance, uh, Albert Schweitzer, you know that name? He's somewhat revered in, in some circles. Albert Schweitzer wrote a book years ago entitled The Search for the Historical Jesus. You know what that was? Um, that book was suggesting that what we have, that what, uh, you know, that what we sing about here on, uh, at Gracie Band, is not the real Jesus. No, 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 no. That's, that's a, that's a Jesus of legend. That's the Jesus of, uh, combined myth that has risen up over the centuries. And so Albert Schweitzer went on what he called the search. For the historical Jesus, the real one, because this is not the real one. No, no, no. Or how about, how about Thomas Jefferson? Ever heard his name? I thought you had. Third president of the United States. You know, there's a, there's a Bible that's called the Thomas Jefferson Bible. You ever heard of it? It's on the, it's in the Smithsonian. I mean, you can go see it if you're ever in DC. I mean, it's right there for you. And, and, uh, Thomas Jefferson took a pen knife. To the Bible and, and, and eliminated everything that he thought was really not the truth, but it just incrustations that had kind of seeped into the Bible over the centuries. He ended up with 91 pages. It's, it's a, it's a brief thing because so much of it has been removed by, um, by President Jefferson. Then there, of course, is the psychosomatic, um, option, which is very popular in the, in the world of psychology, it says something like this, that people tend to hallucinate. I mean, when there's, when there's been a great period of suffering and sadness and, and a period of longing and, uh, people just tend to hallucinate. For instance, that's how you can explain the resurrection. People hallucinated. And then today, which is still going on today, maybe you've heard of the Jesus seminar. You ever heard of that one? The Jesus Seminar is a group of scholars that travel around the country and they hold conferences. And here's what they do at those conferences. It's called the Jesus Seminar. You can go to one. You can go on the web, you know, send your money in and you can go to a Jesus Seminar. 
Here's what they do. They take beads, variously colored beads, and they throw them into a little bucket, depending on whether or not they thought the story really did happen. If it's, I, I, I may have the colors wrong, but spare me that. But um, uh, if it's a story that they really thought happened, they throw in a green bead. But if it's a story that they didn't happen, they throw in a red bead. And if it's kind of iffy, they throw in a pink bead. And so they, you know, they vote at the Jesus Seminar as to exactly what is in there or not. Um, you know, guys, if we were, as the Christian church, to yield our claims over the miraculous, we would find a whole lot more favor in this 21st century postmodern world. You may want to go that route. I won't be following you. That's not my opinion. That is, or that's not my desire to yield the uh, the, the miraculous. Uh, I um, It's not my position, nor is it the position of this church. We, around here, rather naively believe all of it. I mean... Come on, Dr. Young. <laughs> you don't believe in that. <laughs> you don't believe in that in that uh, virgin birth thing, do you? Yeah, I do. I mean, that that he restored sight to the blind and, and healed the lepers and made the lame walk and resurrected the dead. Yeah, you don't believe all that, do you? Afraid of so, I, I'm afraid to do. Guilty as charged. But guys, having said that, I um, I want to make you aware of some things about miracles that I'm not sure you're aware of. Um, I want to I want to show you the role that they play and the role that they don't play uh, in the overall life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, I hope you've. Not left me so far, you know, um, great deal of criticism about miracles. Hasn't done anything to shake my confidence in them. But there are some things that you need to know about them. For example, there are only about 36 of them recorded in the New Testament. Now, if Jesus Christ had a three-year ministry, and that would be 36 months, that would mean that Jesus was performing a miracle about once a month. Instead of his being some kind of traveling uh, uh, miraculous show, about once a month, Jesus performed something that would be considered miraculous. He who could walk on water did once. He who was the resurrection and the life raised the dead three times in the course of a three-year ministry. That would be one a year. Gang, the the Gospels actually downplay um, miracles. In fact, if you you study the life of Jesus Christ, you will find that on, on numerous occasions, 
I mean, really, numerous, a dozen or so, um, after he's performed a miracle, he tells the person on whom the miracle has been performed, hey, uh, uh, listen, I, I don't want you telling anybody about this. Um, this is in, he just healed a leper uh, in, in, um, in, John, in, in Matthew 8, and he says, see that you say nothing to anyone. He does that frequently. He would perform a miracle and say, shh, I don't want you to tell anybody about this. There were other times that uh, he was asked to perform a miracle, and if he didn't refuse, he was downright reluctant to, um, to perform them. For instance, the leper comes to him and says, I wish you'd heal me if you're willing. Or, or how about John 2? I, I love that story. In fact, it's his first recorded miracle, um, and, and, and in some ways, it's his oddest. You remember, remember the John 2 turning the water to wine thing? You know, guys, um, as as far as emergencies go, this one certainly falls way down on the list. I mean, uh, it, it certainly was embarrassing to the to the wedding host and hostess, uh, to be sure. But does a Messiah who has come to heal the sick and to set the captives free does he um, does he concern himself with something that's not much more than a social faux pas? I mean, his mother comes to him and he says, woman, what, am I, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. I mean, it's like he rebukes his own mother. You know, I, I guess we can only speculate as to what must have been going on through Jesus' mind in those few seconds after his mother asked him to do this. But he knows this much at least. If I do this, that would mean that the clock starts ticking. My hour has come. And from that moment on, were he to do this, life would change for him. If, if, if the word of his powers leaked out into the, into the audiences, he would be hearing requests from needy people from north to south and east to west, from, from Tyre to Jerusalem. Uh, there would be paralytics and epileptics and deaf mutes and the demon possessed, not to mention some little street beggar who wants a free glass of wine. Um, investigators would be dispatched from Jerusalem to take a look at all this and a clock would start ticking if he does this that would um, that would not stop until Calvary you see guys Jesus was on a path and nothing was to obstruct that path not even a crowd of ailing people Now, all of that to say, guys, there were miracles, but they were relatively few, and uh, many were done reluctantly, or at least with the command, don't tell anybody about those things. Why do you think that's true? Well, guys, here's the second thing that I want you to know, and I, I'm, I'm not sure you know this. Um, why are miracles so downplayed in the New Testament? Well, here's one of the reasons why, at least. Because whereas faith may precede miracles, miracles never produce Saving faith. Did you hear that, guys? 
I don't think we believe that. You know, if I have it said to me, I, I once, I, I bet you I have it said a couple times a year, something like this. Oh, if we could just get the ark down from Mount Ararat. If we could just bring it down, if we could just go to Turkey and get the ark from Mount Ararat and bring it down, then boy, the world would sit up and take notice. It's not so. Gang, um, Jesus says in uh, John 12, um, though he had done so many signs before them, they still didn't believe in him. You know, the best example is a story in Luke Luke 16, do you remember the story between about Lazarus and the rich man? Remember that story? Lazarus and the rich man, they both die. Lazarus goes to heaven, the rich man goes to hell. Remember that story? And um, the rich man from hell uh, uh, cries out and says, uh, you know, I'm, I'm dying down here. Would somebody give me a drink of water? And, and Abraham says, well, sorry, Ken. There is a chasm that's fixed between us and we, we can't go to there and you can't come here. He says, all right, all right, all right. Um, how about this? Would somebody please go and visit my five brothers? Because I don't want them to come to this dreadful place. And Abraham says, he says this to that to that request. He says, um, no, Father Abraham said, um, they have Moses and the prophets. Do you get that, guys? Um, the, the man, the rich man says, would you please send somebody to speak to my brothers? Said, sorry, can't do that. But they do have Moses and the prophets. They do have this book. And then the rich man says, oh, no, no, you misunderstand me, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Now, that's our position. That's the position of 21st century man. Oh, 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 if somebody will just do a, a miracle, then... Then people will flock to the doors. Listen to what is said to that statement. He says to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Isn't that remarkable? You know, we know that's true because we've already had one of those. That is one of those resurrection things. And um, people are still trying to figure out how to explain it away. No, guys, um, miracles have never converted anybody. And I think that's one of the reasons why they were downplayed in the New Testament. Because you've got all you're going to get. It's right here. It's all you're going to get, guys. People, um, people in, in churches believe that if, they, if we just had a little proof on our side, then people would listen to us. No, apparently not. There's one other story I would tell you. It's, 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 <laughs> it's really not funny, but it, it's kind of pitiful. You remember when Jesus... Raised Lazarus from the dead. You know, he goes to Bethany and Lazarus is in the grave. And, and um, Jesus goes out there and his sister says, you know, don't take that stone away from there. He's been dead four days. He stinketh. <laughs> Sorry. Um, he stinketh. You know, don't, don't. I mean, that's the King James language. I mean, he stinks. Don't open that. Don't open that thing up. 
So they roll the stone away, and Jesus speaks in there. He says, Lazarus comes forth, and he comes forth. You know, Jesus resurrects Lazarus from the dead. That's pretty nifty, don't you think? Do you know what the response of the audience was? Well, let me read you uh, the response of at least many in the audience. Um, They said uh, in verse 47 of John 11, So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. So they, they meet and they talk and they discuss and they come to this conclusion. This is in verse 53. Um, yes. Um, where they say, um, okay, from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. That is, not only are they, they want to kill Jesus, now they want to kill Lazarus. I mean, Jesus raised a man from the dead, and there he is. What are we going to do with this? Believe on him? Oh, no, no, no. we got to kill Lazarus. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of remarkable, is it not? Because we keep thinking if we can just get the ark down, everything's going to be fine for us. Listen to what Jesus says. If I had done, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. Listen, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. Oh my. Miracles, they don't convert, folks. There's one other thing that I want you to see. Um, well, actually, two more things. But I, I don't want you to hear me say that that miracles aren't important. I, nor did not, I, I'm not saying that they didn't happen uh, or that they don't happen today. I believe all that is true. But they are relatively rare and downplayed, um, underemphasized, and they won't convert anybody. But that's not to say that they have no purpose. That they're only eye candy. No, no, no. They're more than that. And let me show you what the, what the primary role of miracles is. It's uh, really pointed out in Mark 2 if you want to look at it. I mean, if they don't convert, then what do they do? It comes out of another story. You remember the story? Uh, I mean, when you were in Sunday school, they taught you this story. It was about the, the, uh, the paralytic man who couldn't get to Jesus. And so his four friends come and put him on a pallet. And they take him over to where Jesus is and they can't get inside the front door. So what they do is they go to the roof and they take off the roof shingles and they lower him down right in front of Jesus. And the text says um, in verse 5, and Jesus, when he saw their faith, not the paralytic guy's faith, but the, the guy carrying the, the pallet. When he saw their faith, he turns to the man on the pallet and he says this, my son, your sins are forgiven. Everybody heard that and said, um, I mean, who does this guy think he is? I mean, nobody can forgive sins but God alone. I mean, I, that, that's just really offensive to me that he would say that your sins are forgiven. Nobody forgives sin. And this is what Jesus says. Look, it's in verse 10 of Mark 2. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Do you see it, guys? Do you see what Jesus just told you? 
He says, miracles play a significant role indeed. And here's the role that they play. They confirm the authority of the one who has brought them. They verify. They demonstrate. So that you might know that I do have the authority on earth to forgive sins. Watch this. Rise. Take your pallet and walk. They're pieces of verification about the claimant. The claimant says, I am, I can do this. And they say, oh no, you can't. He says, okay, I can't watch this. And he does this. Guys, um, is it not a marvel that people could see what they saw and hear what they heard? And their only response is, we hate him. We hate him. We hate him and his father. Um, they, they, they watch all this that's going on. But miracles never converted anybody. But they do verify the claims of the one who worked them. I want to um, close but going back to our text, you wondered if we were going to get there or we were going to. Here we are. Because in our text, in John 6, everything that I've told you is illustrated. It's um, one of the things that miracles did is that they did draw a crowd. <laughs> I mean, they still draw a crowd. I mean, if somebody claims to be a miracle worker, they'll still draw a crowd today. But this is a, this is a miracle in uh, where he feeds the 5,000 in John 6. That is the only miracle in the New Testament that makes it into all four of the gospel writers. Everybody, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John gives you a version of this story. The feeding of the 5,000. And it is the largest crowd that ever appears in the New Testament. Uh, We're told in verse 10 that there were 10,000 men. Uh, So we estimate that because women and children weren't in that figure, there was probably a crowd upwards of 10,000 people. And so you know the story. They're on a hillside. Jesus is teaching. It's late in the day and they're hungry. It's, it's, it's supper time and, and they got a mess on their hands. What are we going to do with all these people who are hungry? So Jesus turns to Philip and says, you know, well, where are we going to get some bread? Because he knew what he was going to do. But he turns to Philip and makes the request anyway. And then about that time, Andrew comes walking up and says, hey, by the way, there is a young boy out there. And he's got, he's got two fish and, and five barley loaves. But what is that to, for so many people? So there's this this crisis about what are we going to do? Uh, do we do we go buy food or do we send them away? What 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 can we do? So Jesus is told this food's available, and so he says, "Have them be seated." And so they sit down and very orderly, and Jesus begins to feed them. And um, you can almost hear the whispers that are going that are racing across the hillside as people are beginning to wonder. Is this the one? Is he he? Is he is he the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah? Look what he's doing, folks. Now, guys, this is this is extraordinary, at least in my mind, so I hope you'll wake up. Once the meal is done, all three of the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 
They all end this miracle by saying something like this. Mark says this. He says, and they all ate and were satisfied. And that's where they stop. It's only John that tells us what came next. They eat, they gather up the baskets and all that business. And then we're told in verse 15 that Jesus gets a little alone time. He, he heads off to a place by himself. And then you know what happens next. It's nighttime. Uh, Jesus walks on water. And their boat uh, crosses the Sea of Galilee. And I've been on that sea. And it's, it's bigger than you might think. It's a whole lot bigger than Sardis. Um, but it's, he crosses the thing and um, he's on the other side immediately. The next morning, all the people, this is recorded in verses 22 through 25. The next morning, the people on the other side of the lake uh, who had eaten the meal <clears throat> realized that Jesus is gone. And it's almost a laughable scene as they're, they're scurrying around. It's almost like a scene out of Keystone Cops. They're, they're, they're scurrying around trying to commandeer somebody's boat so that they can get to the other side of the sea because, my goodness, we have, we have tasted of one miracle and we are aching for more. With, uh, with, the, with that miracle still digesting in their bellies from the previous day, they want another one. And so they scurry across the lake so that they can get to Jesus and, and see one more of those things. Jesus sensing that. You'll notice it in verse 15. That the, uh, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force. That's when he disappeared to himself. And then the next morning, here they come again. And so a conversation ensues beginning in verse 25. Ladies and gentlemen, this is, this is some of the richest stuff in the entire New Testament from verse 25 to the end of this, of this chapter. Because in this conversation, there is a lot of yayan going on. Look at, look at uh, verse 41. The Jews grumbled about him. There's grumbling and there's murmuring and there's complaining and there's dialoguing and there's, and then in the midst of it, Jesus is saying some pretty provocative stuff. Um, look at verse 35. He says, um, um, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Whoa. But then even worse than that, verse 53. Verse 53 is a, is a ringer. He says, so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoa. Eat my Flesh, drink my blood. Now, gang, as that conversation comes to an end, we're told something very alarming in verse 66. After this, after that conversation, with all that stuff in it. Many of his disciples turn back and no longer walk with him. The largest majority of that crowd leave him, concluding that he was just not their kind of Messiah after all. He wasn't going to provide them the bread and the entertainment that they had hoped. Oh, they wanted bread. 
They just didn't want him. They wanted a king. But they didn't want a savior king. And so after experiencing and even tasting of a real, live, literal miracle, when Jesus confronts them with his message, they say, (laughs) that's enough of that. We're going to have to keep looking because I'm not sure we found the right king. Guys, what I'm suggesting is that this story about him feeding the 5,000 illustrates why Jesus, with all of his supernatural powers at his command, showed such an ambivalence towards miracles. Because look what it produces. Look what it produces. They, They attracted a crowd and they draw applause. That's true. But never... Never do they ever produce repentance and and saving faith. The message that Jesus brought them was, um, was one about sin. It was about a Savior. It was about obedience and sacrifice. It was not going to be some sideshow for gawkers and sensation seekers. He refuses to wow them on demand. Remember Herod at the end of his life wanted to have an audience with Jesus so he could watch him do a trick. From this day on, from John 6 on, the teaching of Jesus has a strange new twist to it. It's as if this scene had clarified his future because... From now on, all this speech about the bread of life and eat my flesh and all that, it began to make more sense. Oh, he was the bread of life, all right, but he wasn't like manna. No, no, that was some kind of miraculous food. He was the bread of life and had come down from heaven so that it could be mixed with blood. The bread was his flesh and the drink was his blood. I want to read you just a quote from a man by the name of, his last name is Kapan. He says, the Messiah was not going to save the world by miraculous band-aid interventions. A storm calmed here, a crowd fed there, a mother-in-law cured back down the road. Rather, it was going to be saved by means of a deeper, darker, left-handed mystery at the center of which lay his own death. Gang, as moving as is his teaching and as eye-popping as are his miracles, the heart and soul of this Christ is his dying, the sin-bearing substitute All of these other things which have become so controversial. It becomes a distraction from simply gazing at the heart of this message. 
Did the miracles occur? Yes. Are they contradictory to our experience? Yes. Did they make any difference? Yes. Are they essential to Christianity? Yes. But make no mistake about it. They've never converted anybody. And as you consider this Christ, and you stumble over these miracles that you can't see how they would happen, and you argue over his message, the key element is found in neither of those things. The key question for you, my friend, is this. What will you do with a crucified Savior? Oh, somebody tell you in in your college biology class that a virgin birth is impossible, did they? Or somebody argue with you about Jesus' teaching about, about divorce. My friend, you're a dupe of the devil. Because you've been dragged away to the to the lesser message to keep you from considering the main one. What will you do about sin and salvation? Guys, the non-Christian world has an assumption and the assumption is called, in scientific terms, or in geological terms, it's called uniformitarianism. Hope you're impressed. But it simply is that the unknown is like the known. That the future will be like the past. There's a, there's a uniformity of nature. And thus miracles can't happen. And then Christ is discarded. All that discussion is just designed so that you will not face a Savior who brings a message of sin and salvation and obedience. For the Christian... A miracle is a, is a communication between the invisible world to the visible world. And here is what all 36 of them unite to say in a very clear, emphatic voice. This is my son. Hear him. This is my provision for sin. Receive him. This is my exalted king. Yield to him. You missed that message. And I don't care if they bring down the ark tomorrow morning. Do you a bit of good? Our Father, I pray that you will remind your people that that you have made provision for our sin, that you have that you have um, 
But you have provided a solution for people as wicked as I. And that you will use what has said here and the little bit of clarity that's there to remind people that they cannot be distracted by all of the clamorings about this or that and miss that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. Might He, in all of His saving beauty, be very clear and apparent before every set of eyes in this room. Do that, O God. For Jesus' sake.